Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. The Director's Cut is now available on Spotify, so please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Susie Unessi's new comedic drama, Unlovable. The film tells the story of Joy, a woman who joins a 12-step program to take control of her sex and love addiction after losing her boyfriend and her job and surviving a suicide attempt. After seeking help, she finds a sponsor and discovers the beauty of platonic friendship when she begins making music with a socially inept musician named Jim. In addition to Unlovable, Ms. Unessi's credits include the feature film Dear Lemon Lima, the movie for television The Real Reason Women Don't Direct More Action Movies, and episodes of the series Olive and Mocha, Relationship Status, and The Dead Girls Detective Agency. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Unessi spoke with director Alethea Jones about filming Unlovable. During their conversation, Ms. Unessi discusses her process of creating a lookbook when taking on a new project, directing actress Charlene de Guzman, a noted social media luminary, and how casting actor John Hawks, who is also a musician, allowed rehearsal to mix organically with developing the film's music. Hi guys, I'm Alethea, and here's Susie coming now. That was so good. Hey, thanks you guys, and thanks to the DGA for having us here. It's such a bucket list thing to have happen. So, um, yeah, so thanks. Um, and thanks, Alethea, for being we, with me here because I'm such me. a fan of yours and um, Queen America is so cool. So congrats on that. Thank you. Um, Susie and I met um, when we both directed our first episodes of television together um, and we were both had to shadow the director together and I was like who's this girl is she gonna be weird with me and uh we are really close and it's really lovely to support you here tonight so I have some questions and I have so many things buzzing around in my head like it was really I've seen it twice now it was excellent um the first thing I want to ask you about I want to go through chronologically through the the directorial process like I want to start with pre-production and go through production to post but just Something that really stayed with me throughout it was the music sequences and the tapping and the way people communicated. And I saw that John Hawkes actually he wrote. What was the process with the songwriting for a start? So the songwriting happened when John came on board, and John was someone I met about ten years ago on Me and You and Everyone We Know, which is a film that I'd associate produced. And on that film we connected because I grew up in a riot girl band playing punk rock music and he is such an incredible musician as you can see in the film. And so I went out to see his band play a couple times throughout the years. So when this script came along, I knew we needed someone who was a great actor but also a great musician who could write all these songs because the film was made for around 150 all in, I think, $200,000. So at that 
budget level, you really, everyone, it's all hands on deck. Um, so John came on board and once he, he sat down, met with me and Charlene, talked about it. And once he came on board, he started to write these songs and um, the process of him and Charlene meeting up and writing the song sort of became like our rehearsal and a time for them to connect. And um, he would write the songs and then I would go to his house and I would see them perform the songs and give my thoughts. And a lot of the music is also music of his from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that song Sweet Tart. So he would play us these old tapes he had of recordings. Yeah. And even then for that music video, that's one of his old songs. So I had him like come to my house and shot that music video on an off day in my garage. <laughs> Just like had him dance around that crazy. That is a very special testament to how your cast members and collaborators must feel about you, that they, that they give you those special things that they've held on to for decades and their spare time whilst shooting. <laughs> oh my God, it was so, so fortunate. And just what he gave in the music. And then the composer, Christopher French, was someone I met on, I did Daphne and Velma for Warner Brothers, the girls from Scooby-Doo's Origins movie. A um, very excellent movie as well, I must say. <laughs> no, it's on Hulu streaming. Um, but, um, but I met Christopher French on that. And for this film... We had, we gone South by Southwest, so we knew we needed to create the score pretty quickly, as it is on these low-budget films. You sort of, like, hold everything off till you're, like, in the big festival, and then you're like, run, <laughs> sprint. So, um, so I had a really talented composer I'd worked with before who's even in the Academy, and she went ahead with the entire 60 minutes of the film without sending me anything, so she suddenly sent me 60 minutes of, of the film and like she had been out of touch because of Sundance and just when I received it, it was not what I was looking for and she's wildly talented, but I was, it just was missing the understanding of what it, what addiction feels like and what it sounds like and that there was just something missing in it. So we had, so we shifted gears, and I knew Chris from Daphne and Velma because I was posting it at the same time, and he's someone who has an understanding of addiction in a very profound way. So, And I had seen what he could do doing some additional score on that. I was like, Chris, we have nine days to score this whole movie. Would you be, able, would you be up for it? And he did it, and I think he, he used Kelly. He used a lot of the um, themes that John had created but also built on it and really has this incredible score that added this whole nother layer to the film that I'm so proud of his work. The score, yeah, this is excellent. The score did something really interesting with tone. In fact, this is a real tone piece for me. Like, I don't think I've seen anything like it in terms of the, the darkness that it dealt with, but it was so playful and so feminine in in an interest like in in a refreshing nice way to to see these issues dealt with um do you want to talk about tone and and well, did you have any yeah. rules on set well, to think, keep the tone well i think that's interesting too cuz when you think about sex addiction and the and love addiction and the way it's been portrayed in the past and even how it's talked about it's such a masculine thing right like women don't have sex men do yeah. so in 
talking about it, we knew we were in somewhat uncharted territories. So, um, so we we wanted to portray it as as you should from the protagonist's perspective and the way that Charlene sees the world. And when I was brought on, I was brought on by Sarah Dina Smith, a great director and the co-writer on this film, set me and Charlene up. And she said to me, if I was going to set you up on a friend date, it would be with Charlene. And Charlene and I both love kawaii and super cute things and also have a dark sensibility, but see lightness in the dark. And so... Um, going into it, we both were very much on the same page about the tone. Um, but I didn't, I wanted to paint in brighter colors. And I didn't, I do believe in when you have material in front of you, a lot of the times playing against what's on the page because that creates nuance and that's, life's complicated and unexpected. And so that's what, with a lot of the material, it was pushing against maybe what the, what was expected, right? And yeah. this stereotypically would be dark and in dark colors. And the first round of notes we got from the producers, because um, the Duplass brothers produced it, but they were very, they gave us so much freedom and were so kind and trust, trustful of the direction and the director's vision. But the first pass of the film, they passed it on to their assistants. This is the edit stage, The right? edit stage. So their assistants send us notes. And they were like, why is it so, why is it so light? Why is it so bright? And all these notes that like anyone who's directed, like absolutely <laughs> cannot be changed. Yeah. <laughs> so the tone is so specific of this film that's not like we could go back in and like suddenly, you know, in the color correction, bring out dark, like it just, unfortunately, our producer, we have this brilliant producer, Jen Roskin, and she was like, disregard all these notes. Don't worry about it. I will talk to Mark. Put these out of your, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. So um, definitely in setting the tone was something that was pretty specific. But I think so much of it is also as a director, like setting the tone on set, right? Because you yeah. do a lot of comedy too. And I think it is like how you handle yourself on set sort of lets mm -hmm. the actors know like, we're going to give you room for play and space for that, like letting the actors also trust their instincts and you're there to help set the tone with your crew. Um, but I also believe a lot in like, especially John Hawks, like trusting your actors with Charlene. She was a social media star. So there was a lot more carving to do within her performance and helping her learn to trust her instincts yeah. and also to always show less, right? Because for, I think, people who work in social media, so much is like showing everything to us, right? On Instagram and YouTube, showing us everything. And so in translating it to the big screen and making sure her performance, she wasn't outshined by Melissa Leo and John Hawks, which is a hard thing, um, a hard ask. But I think she really killed it and did it. And she, it was just like, sh you know, show me less, like, everything's going to show up on screen and you can, you've lived it so you can trust feeling it. Beautiful. That, let's jump to casting. I, I think the casting was so clever and beautiful. And yeah, Melissa Leo and John Hawkes on either side of Charlene, like Charlene was said, it's very smart. How did Melissa Leo come to be in the ensemble? So this is the 
fourth film I've worked with Melissa on. You yes. must be terrible to work with. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, we connected on a student film that I did. I went to Columbia University for grad school, and we connected over maybe 15, 12 years ago, a while ago, and we just really got along and loved working together, and she's such an incredible actor. So when I was doing this film, I had brought it up with her a couple times, because as it is with these smaller budget films, you're attached for so long, you know, and then suddenly you go and it happens, but it's like you've been on board for years. And so I talked to her about it and planted the seeds throughout like three or three years, I think. And um, once we got John on board too, it was one of her dreams to work with John, John Hawks. And that was one of her bucket list things. And she had said to me, she had actually reached out to him a couple times about doing movies. And, oh, wow. And he had just, he's super particular with the roles he takes. And I think for this, he could find his voice because the music side of it, and he is so Jim. If you go to his, he's just, this character in so many ways and very analog in who he is. So, um, so getting Melissa on board, it was our past relationship, but also having John Hawks and like, and even her seeing Charlene's work and Charlene had some videos she had made that had gone viral. And so I think that gave her confidence to be part of the team. And especially on these low budgets where you're paying actors like a hundred 25 bucks a day it's such a big ask emotionally too because of what the subject matter is in the film um we were just so lucky to have her Beautiful. and lucky to have john um was there you know talking about low budget rehearsal is usually um a privilege did you have a rehearsal process how, how did you work on the performances the acting stuff well the rehearsal process really became the practicing and yeah. the practicing of music and mm -hmm. them being in the same space and practicing music. And we did a read through of the script all together in a small space. Um, but I think really the rehearsal was like them sitting together playing music and then me showing up and chiming in and then disappearing and then coming back and being a fly on the wall. So I think that's why those scenes in the garage work so well because you, they have such chemistry from that time that they rehearsed yes. together. And I, I suppose that sort of talking about, like, I suppose that trickled out into Charlene's other work and other scene work in, in other areas that... Oh, yeah. And I think it helps with her, like, then being more isolated in those other scenes and having to be with herself. And when I was working with Charlene, there was more room for play. But I remember one of the calls I had with mark in advance was because it was initially an outline for a movie when I came on board and I said you know I know this is Charlene's first film so I really think we should write a script and even if we throw out the script we should at least write a script so that we have the beats on the page and something to go out with to get actors attached so they went ahead and wrote a script and then we got Melissa and we got John. So, and Mark had done a call with me and he was like, just do as much improv as possible and throw it all out. And I've worked with Melissa before and John. So I know 
they are not the actors that you throw out the script with. <laughs> so that definitely with Charlene, she's a comedian and comes from that ba background. But I think John and Melissa are very much about the craft and the method and blinking at the same moment, turning at the same moment. So mm -hmm. you throw it out and it just like, I think for the last scene, um, it was scripted as them sitting and I, watching it this time, I was remembering how it was such a thing to get John to stand up and walk to the fridge. And I was like, well, you don't, you know, you guys, she's getting, she's poking the bear and it's becoming so intimate. So you're going to walk away to the refrigerator because it's becoming uncomfortable. And he was like, but I'm, mm. but it, you know, I'm supposed to be in the chair and because it was scripted as the chair. And I just, yeah. it's like, we have this hug that happens and if I'm hugging you like <laughs> this, it's so uncinematic. So, um, so that even, it worked really well though with the moment because you feel his discomfort yeah. and he was so uncomfortable in that choice, but it works for his character. And it sounds like he was sort of bringing part of his character to that choice oh, as well. Absolutely. Like absolutely. Reluctance. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about a bit more about production. I'd love to hear how you work with, you know, your DP, your production designer, your costume, you, like your your work is always so stylish and so beautiful, like the details and everything. So just tell me a little bit about, is it Moira Morell? Yeah. Your DP. You've worked with her before, haven't you? I have. So I met her working on, and I met a lot of this crew working on a web series that someone had approached me about. And, and I feel like, um, after my first feature, there were a couple years where I was like figuring out what was next, worked on Gordimer, but I, I switched, I was at CAA after my first feature and then I got dropped when I was six months pregnant. Um, and then sort of had this motto of like saying yes to everything. Yeah. And, um, and I did this web series and was so fortunate to meet Moira and the editor on this, Christina Davies. Um, and Moira was just so great with camera and movement and had grown up in Portland shooting a lot of music. And so it works really well for those garage scenes in particular. And for me, with the process, um, I always, it's interesting, going out for movies, I always feel like by the time I'm in the room, I'm ready I'm ready to direct the movie. I, don't, I totally agree. Yes. It's so, all in the lookbook. It's totally, like, yes, yes. So even with the movies that I don't get, I'm always like, oh, remember that movie? And this is how it was going to, and it feels like it's done just because the lookbook, I feel like to get these to get a movie, you really have to be finished by the time you're sitting in the room. To, I to, yeah, yeah, it's like having a baby. Yes, yes. And each film is like your child, so you're very invested in it. So um, so I do very detailed lookbooks, and I use We Heart It, which is this amazing image site. You know it, you, you told me about it. <laughs> so I love this site, We Heart It, which I think started in, like, Brazil. But so it has very unique imagery from around the world. And I'll start to build out a page there. And then I'll do the full deck. And usually my deck will talk about cinematography, costume, character, um, music, sound, like anything. If there's graphics, the way the graphics will be handled, special effects, if there's monsters, what they'll look like. So I do a pretty extensive, in it, like doodles, because so much of my stuff has doodles. So, um, so I'll go pretty deep into it. So 
then I expect my creatives to do the same. And even for projects now, because I have Moira and Christina and people I love, who I've worked with, who I want to work with again, but my feeling is I've gone in to do the work, right, and mm -hmm. done a deck and gone through these crazy meeting after meeting after meeting to get the job. So I expect all of my creatives to do the same. And it's and I feel like it's worthwhile because you should bring three people in and it shouldn't be expected that someone's going to get the job. And it helps even with your DP, your costume designer, and whoever else getting hired that the producers see their work and everyone's on the same page and the homework's been done. And once prep starts, you're just, you've sort of, you've done so much homework and have a great foundation mm -hmm. you're working off of. So even with Charlene and her costumes, the costumer Francesca Roth, who I worked with, is incredible and everything's character driven. And even the t-shirts that, um, that Jim is wearing, I had seen John Hawk's doodles in a notebook. I was like, these are incredible. We should use them on the set. And Francesca saw them and she was like, why don't we print them on T-shirts? And he just like felt so in character and comfortable wearing those screen prints of his art because yeah. it's such a gym character thing. And even for Joy, people always ask if those are Charlene's clothes because she was... I mean, it was, yeah. she was so in touch with who the character was. And at one point I was like, is that Susie? Like, like it looked like, <laughs> I was like, they look like your clothes too, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, definitely. There's a, a certain gloss or look to, to my stuff that's very similar to a child. <laughs> so that's why when I go by my kids' clothes, I'm always like, oh, this looks like one of my movies. Does this come um, in my size? Yeah. Um, what, tell me about your ADs because of, uh, the lower the budget, the more I love my AD because they save your butt. Like how was the process? Who was your AD and how did you guys work together? So Stephanie Janesh was my AD and I love her so much. And even on this, I recently did Dead Girls Detective Agency for Snapchat Originals and was so lucky to work with her in prep and then sadly got pushed and lost her. But even having that experience again, working with her, she's... She's more prepared than me. Mm. And it's such a great feeling when you're like, you know, you know more than I do. And you know how much you, work you put in. And to see as an AD how much pride she has in her work and being more prepared. And yeah. it's really, I was so lucky to work with her. So I worked with her again recently. And it, again, I was reminded of how she's just more prepared than anyone else on set. And... And it was so lucky for us to have her because even in terms of, for me, always when you get a scene where there's more blocking and you're on a low budget and you have a bar scene or a scene like even those meetings where there's all the people in the background, it always, for me, on lower budgets, I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. <laughs> like that day where you're like, unless, like even now I've figured out to like, do my own floor plan to at least start the blocking if it's a lower budget, just because it can go so south and eat so much of your day up. But she was so good at it just from, she was on the office for a while. I just think she's, she's so quick with it and just understands the way the world is and how to make a space feel filled with a couple of extras. So, um, a, 
so, so lucky to have her and um, even the second is someone who I worked with recently again, but I love, I mean, I just love having the same, if you yeah. can work with the same team, you know what, what your triggers are, what their triggers are and... Um, triggers. Yeah. Good triggers. song. <laughs> Great song. Um, two more questions. What was the most challenging aspect of this film? I think the edit, we really chipped away at it. It mm. was the most challenging and the most rewarding. Yeah. Because we, we picked up and we stopped a couple of times because in shooting, I was seven months pregnant. So once we were out of production, the editor was still working on the film and then my baby came. And so then, and then I had a job in Salt Lake City for three months and then I had another job in Atlanta. So it was just like finding little times in between to pick up the edit again yeah. and the edit, so much of the movie was made in the edit. I, I saw the movie uh, at one stage in the edit process and, and I thoroughly loved your, I loved it when I saw it, but seeing what you had done and, and just the, I guess, you did pickups, you did reshoots. and Yeah, we redid the whole opening scene. Excellent. So. And it was <laughs> such a compelling opening. Like, yeah, it's worth, I love that. I love, uh, yeah. The luxury of reshoots. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Additional. It, uh, my producer likes me to call it additional photography, but we even did some inserts of stuffed animals and we recast the stuffed animals. They did a great job. They did because the the eyes. Did you recast free. them for their eyes? Yes, we did because it, really it's beady eyes and wide eyes are yeah. what are impactful as stuffed animals. And we initially just had brown bears because oh. um, one of Melissa's friends, her husband had passed on, so they donated all the stuffed animals. So, but when we were shooting, it was just so depressing to look at, you know, because the stuffed animals are supposed to be something that Joy looks at for hope or feels this sense of guilt when she's masturbating yeah. in the scenes and didn't work because they were just these very sad brown bears who had lost their owner recently. And so when we were doing additional photography, we snuck in a bunch of inserts with new stuffed animals. Oh, yeah, and that was also additional photography. So that whole opening, I was telling Alethea that Mark had pitched us. The only note he had on the film was to change the opening and to do something with Charlene on a bike and he had this amazing pitch and he was like she's on the bike she's going towards the cliff and we cut and it's the Raising Arizona opening and then she hits the cliff but the bike goes over and she doesn't and so and it was just like great to see him pitch it because he you saw how he's so brilliant in the room and I was mesmerized I was like this is the best opening of a movie ever I can't wait and then we started prepping for it, and me and Charlene had been in the room. We were like, yeah, this great new opening, and we were prepping for it, and something was feeling so wrong, and my DP, Moira, was so lucky to have because she understands story so well. She was like, why are we shooting Charlene on a bike? Does she even know how to ride a bike? And I had done some test shoots with, like, my 5D, and I was like, oh, it's very uncinematic, and makes no sense with the story because she doesn't care about bikes. And mm -hmm. Moira's like, didn't she tap dance? 
And I was like, yes. And it goes back to the drums and her rhythm. And yeah. she loves dancing. And she even says it in that childhood video of hers. So we're like, forget about the, forget about this initial idea with this bike. Mark was just planting the seeds of raising the stakes and someone taking their life. But why not have it be this dance with death? And this opening is just her dance with death and her last meal is this crazy huge cake because that's what Joy would eat as her last meal. And, and so we pivoted and just thanks to our DP sort of as we location scouted being like, we're going to have to get this trail. And then I went south by with the film and I went and saw three other films and I swear they all had the person on the bike. <laughs> and they were riding on the bike. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so happy we don't have the person on the bike. It's a great movie. opening. My last question is, what was the greatest personal satisfaction you achieved from making this movie? Oh, my gosh, just the, the collaboration with all these incredible people. And it was it just felt like such a family and it was such a team. And even as we did, the sound mix might have been my favorite part of the film because it was like the final touches and it just felt so good because the producers were there and we were and Charlene was there and and Chris French the composer was there and then John came in for a while it just felt like we were all in it together and there are those moments where you're in the sound mix where it doesn't feel that way and this was a movie where it felt like we're all on the same page and everyone was riffing and I listened to the sound even in this beautiful theater, and to hear it, I was like, it sounds so good, and it just sounds like a really great collaboration with really great people, so that is the most impactful, beautiful takeaway from this film. Congratulations, Susie, on making an absolutely Thank beautiful you. film with the most unique soul I've ever seen. Thank you so much for having me here, and, and yeah. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We have some great Q&As on the horizon, including directors Rob Marshall for Mary Poppins Returns and Karen Kusama for Destroyer. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.